from our discussion of the question, what do we know about limitations imposed upon the exercise of God's loving kindness and mercy from the Bible, we have seen that God's mercy is now being limited only by man's refusal to fulfill the conditions which God of necessity has had to lay down. God must insist upon man's repentance, which is a revolution of heart. Involved in this repentance is a new attitude of awe and reverence toward God, apart from which man would be entirely out of place in God's presence, even if God could extend mercy without this change. Involved also in repentance is a diligent purpose to obey the loving will of God in all things. The happiness of salvation is to consist in living a life in our limited realm by the grace and power of God, similar to the life of God in the great unlimited realm of His existence. Salvation is Christ in you, the hope of glory, said the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1.27. But if we refuse the life of Christ within us, salvation is barred of necessity. And thus further in our list of scriptures, we read in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 9 these insistent words, And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. This is a present tense, unto all them that are obeying him. So the condition of God's mercy being exercised is a willingness to return to a happy state of obedience to the great and loving God. But in the first chapter of 1 Peter, verse 22, we read, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. And so the truth of God is to be obeyed through the Spirit unto a state of love. Apart from obedience, salvation is impossible. But the first epistle of John abounds with many startling assertions. For example, in chapter 2, verse 4, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So apart from a state of obedience, the mercy of God is restricted, and salvation is impossible. In the 17th verse of this second chapter, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And in chapter 3, verse 10, In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. So any attitude less than this wholehearted willingness and happiness to return to a state of obedience to the loving will of God limits the mercy of God. But in the fourth place, man must love God and man as the only salvation that God offers. There must be a repentant renunciation of the life of selfishness if God's mercy is to be exercised. What a happy opportunity we human beings have to love God. God has endowed us with his moral image. 
so that we might comprehend him in our imaginations and exercise that true reverence and happy love toward God, which is the very essence of joy and salvation. In the giving of the law, as recorded in the 20th chapter of Exodus, you recall God insisted in the first commandment that thou shalt have no other gods before me. Certainly no other state could ever be a state of happiness in any world. And then in verse 6, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So God's mercy is restricted to those who are willing to return to a state of love and reverence and happiness with the great God of the universe. In Leviticus 19.18, this thought is continued. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. So apart from a willingness to love God supremely and love our fellow men equally with ourself, the mercy of God is restricted and salvation is impossible. In the 34th verse of this 19th chapter of Leviticus, But the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you, and thou shalt love him as thyself. For ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Notice the relationship that God always refers back to as the source of the abounding love in the hearts of the Christians. Certainly it is a reflected love, but we are to be willing to have this love reflected in our hearts and lives. In that great sixth chapter of Deuteronomy, verses 4 to 6, we have a summation of this obligation. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart. So apart from this willing attitude toward God, salvation is utterly impossible. In the seventh chapter of Deuteronomy, verses 9 to 11, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations, and repayeth them that hate him to their face, to destroy them. He will not be slack to him that hateth him. He will repay him to his face. Thou shalt therefore keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments, which I command thee this day to do them. So to have anything less than a state of love toward God or willingness to live in that state of love toward God is utterly impossible as a pathway of salvation, and all the more so because God is a faithful God with great manifestations of mercy and kindness. In the 10th chapter of Deuteronomy, verses 12 and 13, we have some very important verses which set forth the unalterable conditions of man's relationship to God. And now, Israel, what does the Lord thy God require of thee? This is certainly a good question, is it not? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. 
to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. Notice these last three important words, for thy good. So all of these requirements that God insists upon are for our good. What a profound manifestation of the love of God. How it revolutionizes man's thinking to think that God is insisting upon a pathway of holiness solely because it will be for our good. Out of his great heart and love and mercy, he does not purpose to limit our happiness, but rather to bring us to that state of heart and mind that he can manifest the true happiness that alone is worthy to be called happiness the true love of our hearts toward God. In chapter 11, verse 1, Therefore thou shalt love the Lord thy God, and keep his charge, and his statutes, and his judgments, and his commandments alway. So we are not to think that the way of holiness is a restriction, but is rather a great manifestation of the love and kindness of God. In the 30th chapter of Deuteronomy, verses 15 to 20, we have some contrasts. Life and good in a state of love is contrasted with death and evil without this state of love. Moses is insisting during his last days upon the children of Israel recognizing the truth of the living God for their good. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. Here are the two opposite contrasting lives. In that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. Notice the conditions for God's mercy and kindness and tenderness is our rightful attitude toward him. But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away, and worship other gods, and serve them, I denounce unto you this day, that ye shall surely perish, and that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land, whither thou passest over Jordan, to go to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and the strength of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Now I ask you, does God seem to believe that this life of holiness is a narrow life? Does he seem to think that he is robbing man of any essence of joy when he insists upon man having a right attitude of love and devotion toward him as a condition of his loving mercy? Indeed not. How wonderful is the life with God in the glorious salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. But Joshua, the successor to Moses, also insisted upon these things, as recorded in his book, the 22nd chapter, verses 5 and 6. But take diligence 
heed to do the commandment on the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cleave unto him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went unto their tents. Nehemiah likewise, that great prophet of the restoration, in his first chapter, verses 4 and 5, said these words, And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept, and mourned certain days, and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven, and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him, and observe his commandments. So we see it to be an unquestionable requirement of the word of God, that if men are going to be saved and be the recipients of God's loving, tender forgiveness in the free pardon of their sins, they have to be willing to return to a state of love and a happy state of reverence and obedience toward the great and loving God. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee that out of Thy great heart of love Thou dost insist that we return by repentance to a state of loving attitude toward Thee as a condition of Thy forgiveness. We pray that many may do so and through faith in Christ find forgiveness and restoration in Jesus' name. Amen.